0: Welcome, everyone, to the sixth episode of the Global Guessing Weekly podcast, the podcast on all things forecasting and geopolitics. My name is Clay Graubart, and I'm joined with my co-host, Andrew Eadie. In this week's episode, we are pleased to be joined by Sar Wilf, a serial entrepreneur and the man behind the website Root Claim. Uh, we've talked about Root Claim before on this podcast, as well as on our website, using it in one of our more recent uh, volumes of Metaculous Monday, we are very pleased to have Sar on our podcast. Sar, welcome.
1: Thank you, Thank you for having me.
0: Um, for those of you who do not know, Sar is a serial entrepreneur and a company builder from Israel. He is an expert in startups, and he has seated or chaired the board of numerous companies, including some of which were sold to blue chip names like Yahoo, Oracle, and PayPal. He has been featured in publications such as CTEK, Vox, Heretz, and Forbes, and is generally known for driving innovation across industries and geographies. He was kind enough to agree to sit down with us today to discuss his career and one of his exciting projects, RootClaim. So without further ado, let's hop right into it. So Sar, um, we, we would appreciate hearing about sort of your run in terms of seeding and chairing companies. Uh, what were you doing before you entered the entrepreneurial space? I read that on top of being an investor and an entrepreneur, you're also a semi-pro poker player. Um, so what was your focus then and sort of what is your focus right now?
1: Before I was an entrepreneur, I was uh, I was a child, so <laughs> no. not much there. So I, I started my first company when I was uh, 21. Oh, wow. uh, that was in the payment space. Uh, my second company was uh, called Fraud Sciences that was acquired by PayPal and became what is today PayPal Israel. Uh, It's a a major part of uh, PayPal's uh, AI security operations today. Uh, Since then, I've been uh, doing uh, founding companies, investing in companies. I usually like uh, deep technology, um, AI, sensors, uh, computer vision, optics. So a lot of interesting companies. Um, And I'm also uh, devoting quite a lot of my time to uh projects that are not necessarily um supposed to be profitable uh could be but if they're not that's fine uh and that i think should will have a significant positive impact on uh, our world
0: and what sort of companies are those or is that root claim is that william yeah,
1: is, is, a, is, a, is a good example um yeah a lot of it is related i'm doing a lot of work recently on promoting better treatments and better analysis for for the pandemic conducting a clinical trial on a few substances that don't have any financial incentive behind them so
0: is that sort of vitamin D? Is what you're talking about? I know that you've
1: one of them. Yeah, uh, there,
0: there, there's
1: a, there are a few substances. If you want, we can go into it, but it's a very interesting issue. There's like the basically there. There's most of the substances around uh, in in our world that could be effective uh, have no financial incentive to having them explored, uh, and we basically as as a society, we basically said one year ago, we're going to look in solution only in this small space of patented uh, drugs that can be sold at the, uh, at the high price or alternatively uh, vaccines that can be sold at mass amounts. But there are so many other solutions uh, and there's basically just no one is, is doing it. There's just no incentive to do it. Have you done
0: any sort of research and I actually like to hear about some of the trials you're doing there. Have you done any research into uh, fluvoxamine it was featured in 60 Minutes recently. Yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah. a super cheap antidepressant that they found was really good at preventing mm-hmm. um, severe disease in COVID nineteen. Is that this type? Yeah, of... Yeah. So
1: so that's one of the that's one of the substances uh, that seem to be very promising. Uh, it's not in our trial. My trial is only focused on uh, very on um, very safe substances that are not uh, regulated at all. So basically stuff that's classified as nutritional supplements. Uh, I'm. I know there are people doing uh, research on uh, something, and many other uh, substances. Um, but yeah, that's that's a good example. Yeah.
0: Um, and sort of like, what sort of brought you to want to focus on doing that type of research? I, I assume you don't have a sort of background in um, the it's, pharmaceutical no. industry. Um, is it sort of just out of public well-being in a pandemic, trying to find sort of really cheap? Safe solutions, um, just sort of what was the driver behind that? Um,
1: so actually, I do do have uh, I did make one investment in a pharmaceutical company, um, but other than that, yeah, that's not really my world. Uh, I've been, I mean, it's it's something I've been studying, uh, since I was a child, is you know, on the side, but it's never been, never did like uh, serious work there. But uh, you know, the moment this pandemic became a major issue for everyone then uh i started looking into how can how can i help how can would claim help how can you know the, the the assets we have the capabilities we developed can be helpful uh even if there's no um uh, financial benefit there so i'm hearing my dog is snoring do you hear that do you want me to uh wake him up um i mean I don't all, you don't hear all that okay only if we can
0: see him can you, can you, can you, <laughs> can you, you get see a, 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 a little shot?
2: Can this will be a great clip.
1: Oh, <laughs> yeah. Aww. Aww. Aww, he's Adorable. passed out.
2: Yeah. He looks so comfortable. That's awesome. What's Thank his name?
0: Leo. Leo. Yep. Adorable. That is uh, the first pet on uh, the Global Guessing Weekly Podcast. It, that is the first.
2: Yeah, big, big milestone.
0: I'll have to go um, run up and get Hector upstairs.
2: So we sort of highlighted here, I mean, you know, your projects have spanned across a lot of industries and just, you know, for the viewer's own sort of edification, um, they span even more than this. You know, you have point grab, which is in the workplace op- optimization and facility management space, you know, initiative queues in the payment network space. Um, BusyGo, you know, is in the BusyGo, BusyGo, Go. Busy Go uh, is in the mosquito detection and location space. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you mentioned, there are sort of common threads with optics and AI, um, and, and machine learning. Um, but how did all these different projects, you know, get you to the forecasting space or what got you into the forecasting space to begin with? What's the story? Okay. Of so
1: name? yeah. So Rupem, uh, has its origins even, I think before most of my other companies, it's something I've been researching, uh, for over 10 years. Um, it's um, it's a, I guess it's a combination of my general interest of in, you know, global problems, uh, global challenges, and my interest in uh, uh, machine learning, statistics, probability theory, uh, these areas. So at, uh, at some point, these these two passions started to uh, converge, and I they thought there just there could be a lot of value in, you know, helping the world understand itself better through uh, probability theory through better uh, mathematical modeling of complex uh, issues.
2: And just for our viewers, would you mind just giving sort of a elevator pitch, uh, sort of overview of, of what Rootclaim is and how it works? I think a lot of our viewers are familiar with, you know, Metaculus and some of the other um, sort of crowdsourcing forecasting platforms. Um, but Rootclaim is very unique in the way that it approaches, you know, answering certain questions. And I think um, they'd definitely be interested to hear about
1: that. Yeah, sure um so we don't really look at it as forecasting and it's uh and the crowdsourcing element is pretty negligible it's more about a methodology in which you take um a question currently only a factual question so it has to be something where you have evidence and there's a few hypotheses you want to examine and the hypotheses need to be um uh exclusive and distinct and small in number uh so it could be either Person A is the murderer. Person B is the murderer. Something very clear. Uh, and you want to see how the evidence um, supports each hypothesis, hypothesis, and which is the most uh, likely one. Well, basically, what is the likelihood with the feature hypothesis? So this is the, uh, the the kind of problems that we're very good at. We don't do forecasting. We don't do anything that uh, where the space is very wide, so you could have like thousands of possible answers. Uh, anything that involves dynamic systems you need to uh, predict. So only cases where there's like a distinct set sort of hypotheses and a list of uh, evidence and you want to uh, uh, tie them up and see how, how, they, uh, how they affect each other. So um, that's the goal. So it, it, would be, it could be famous murder cases, it could be uh, like uh, uh, cases in wars and, and political disputes uh, it can be, uh, so you have some medicine here. There could be an issue like what is the source of a virus? So anything that has a distinct hypothesis and can uh, be analyzed this way, that's what we take. Uh, basically, the approach um, is to try to map all the evidence and uh, their relationships into a probabilistic model. The probabilistic model itself is not too complicated. Uh, it is purely mathematical. There is no—it's a formula. There's no uh, machine learning there. There's no training. There's no algorithms. I mean, it's, it's not something, something that can be improved on. Okay, it's—it's it's, uh, it's basically once you decide that these are the inputs, there's only one uh, mathematical solution. So the question is basically: How do you map the world into the inputs of the formula in a way that is uh, as accurate as possible? So that's most of the work. And there's a lot of method- methodology here on how you go through the hypothesis, how you find them, how you find the evidence, how you find the dependencies between evidence, how you find the, uh, uh, the probabilistic uh, effect of the evidence on the hypothesis. So that is basically, it's, it's a lot about a methodology that is able to be very uh, unbiased, very uh, accurate, very comprehensive um, and get get results that are much better than any any human can uh, can do by uh, by themselves. So I and think sort of like
0: the, just sort of to dig in hand. a little bit deeper on that. So you basically start off calculating like the base rate assumptions of the situation, and then you go by and list out each piece of evidence and how that piece of evidence affects the overall likelihood and it has a sort of effect multiplier. Um, the effect right. multiplier to me seems like the most... Art, artistical or art, art, artistic aspect of the root claim mm-hmm. process. And I was wondering mm-hmm. if you could sort of dig a little bit deeper in terms of how you do that effect analysis and how you sort of determine the multipliers. Like if you guys are currently seeing the, the screen right now and watching the video, of the podcast, this is root claims uh, analysis on what happened with the uh, Malaysian Airlines flight 370. And if you see here, if you look at pilot and co-pilot behavior, there's an examination of their behavior, and it gives an effect analysis um, in terms of affecting the likelihood of all of the different hypotheses. And I was just wondering if you could just dig a little bit deeper into um, how that works.
1: Sure, so basically the number we're trying to estimate is um, how likely, or what is the ratio of likelihoods of this uh, evidence uh, under the different hypotheses? So, for um, so example, you have um, you want to analyze a case where you're trying to determine between a suicide and murder, and you have um, no uh, gunpowder residue on the on the victim's uh, deceased's hand. Okay, and you try to assess how how that affects your current understanding of the situation. So you already have some likelihood, you estimate based on the priors and the evidence so far of of suicide and murder. And now there's a new evidence coming and that is uh, the lack of uh, gunpowder residues. So ideally what you would do, you would find uh, databases uh, that give, uh, the FBI is a good source for that in this specific case that would give you the, Forensic uh, statistics on how often a person will shoot a gun and not uh not have residue then you get a number i think in this case the number is uh twelve percent that it won't happen uh and so basically, if the person uh committed suicide almost always you will not find them unless the, you know the, the person trying to uh, stage the suicide is made sure to take care of it and if uh, they committed suicide, you will uh, mostly, uh, you must mostly uh, see it. And so that gives you a ratio. So it, it would happen maybe 90% in one hypothesis and it would happen 12% in one hypothesis. So basically that would shift the odds uh, around uh, eight, seven, eight times in favor of the of the new hypothesis. Uh, you also take in, need to take into account the possibility that the evidence is wrong. So maybe there is gunpowder residue, but uh, someone faked it or someone misinterpreted results. So you also need to take into account that when you estimate the numbers. Uh, and you also uh, you also need to take into account the fact that you yourself made a mistake. That's very important. At every stage we also try to estimate, maybe we misunderstood something, maybe we used the wrong FPI database for this specific uh, question, stuff like that. So that basically is, these are the three main questions you need to answer. Uh, and then you, uh, convert them into a number so sometimes you can have good statistics and you basically use that uh, and sometimes you will have to use uh, more of a, more of a common sense and that's that's definitely a weakness yeah you're relying on people uh, but, uh, but that's the best we can do there's I mean there's sometimes there's just issues that are too complex to uh, model uh, quantitatively very accurately and you you need to get an estimate. The big advantage is that once you break down a complex uh, question into many smaller questions, it is much easier to answer these smaller questions with uh, common sense. It will require research it will require discussions between people with different backgrounds to make sure uh, you know it's the sense is, is, is indeed common and uh, uh, and after that and, and after we publish we of course collect feedback and we, we often get uh, corrections from the crowd on estimates and then we'll adjust. Um, so basically that is uh, that's what you do. We also have another uh, safeguard in which we will always try to use estimates that benefit the currently weakest, uh, weaker hypothesis. So that would mean that uh, that would prevent us from getting to very high probabilities for one hypothesis, unless we have really, really strong evidence. So, in general, you could say that all the numbers we have on our site today are usually underestimates. So, when you see 80%, it's probably 95. So, uh, this is something that we still have today when we have a lot of safeguards because we still, um, uh, we still, I would say it's, we're still developing the model. There's still some improving on it so, um, we like to leave more room for the possibility that we made a mistake uh and over time we will we will release those and then then you can expect to see more analysis reaching ninety five ninety eight percent numbers like that
0: so that's actually a great point that you just brought up is sort of the underestimating the confidence because um one of your most re- the most recent analysis on root claim is on was there widespread fraud in the twenty twenty election um and sort of I went through and read through the entire analysis last night. And one thing that sort of struck out to me is the way in which you reach the starting point. And I think, you know, now that you've just explained it as it is, you clearly are trying to reach the most. Um, the, the, to... the starting place that sort of gives the most likelihood to fraud. Um, yes. For instance, exactly. you know, you even stay up here. There have been no cases of voter fraud in presidential elections. So let's look at, you know, smaller sort of state changes and then i've even randomly clicked on some of these and the sort of credibility or the magnitude of the voter fraud even in these sort of linked cases you know i don't think stacks up to the the millions and millions of vote fraud scale you would need to sort of affect the 2020 election and so is is was this sort of constructed just to say look even if even if we take as generous as a base rate as possible like you still get these pretty clear-cut outcomes, and is that the goal behind it? Um,
1: uh, nearly. So it's not about uh, hey, look how conservative we are, and we still proven uh, this hypothesis. It's more about there's a lot of stuff uh, that we may not know. There's a lot of stuff we may have misinterpreted. So let's 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 uh, let's try to be conservative on how much weight we give to uh, uh, each input. So for example, looking at past um, at um, past fraud cases, voter fraud cases. There's a good case to be made that uh, in presidential, U.S. presidential elections, there are huge international interests and there are uh, very strong entities that would like to affect it without being uh, uh, discovered. And they have, they may have very strong, uh, uh, they, may, they have uh, a lot of resources to execute a very uh, covert operation. So you need to, you know, there is a limit also to how you look when you try to uh, to build on um, local uh, local fraud cases. So, yeah, so this, it's more about uh, leaving room for, you know, the stuff that you don't know, and the stuff you could be, could have been missing.
0: But just as, right, so one thing, right, you adjust for missing data by giving a 5x multiple to the fraud allegations. And then at, at the same time, you do concede that, you know, you, we have these voter files and validated surveys and even note sort of how accurate that these can be in terms of verifying accuracy but this only decreases the fraud likelihoods by 0.9x and i'm gonna, like yeah. how is that reached it, it doesn't seem like the argument made in the missing data is as strong as the the evidence of you know the VSS or or sorry the VBS surveys that you have in the United States um and it, so it, for, it seems like just to... Yeah, when, go ahead, sorry. yeah, it 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 just seemed like that was sort of you're giving more benefit to sort of increasing the fraud one, sort of decreasing the sort of pullback that the sort of validated surveys might have in uh, in terms of decreasing the fraud likelihood.
1: Um, yeah, yeah, that's basically it. Um, um, just just. Um... Just to be clear, uh, the analysis, the the Vodafone analysis, is something I was less uh, directly involved in. So pr- probably, if you want to ask questions about that, I'll give you the the analyst that was responsible for that. Um, but basically, yeah, that's that's the idea. That's uh, you want to uh, you want to give numbers that leave you room for being mistaken on the low uh, probability hypothesis. Okay, you need you need to be very confident when you start pushing stuff into the 1% likelihood, these numbers seem to be caught because when you start getting to very low numbers, there's a lot of noise that starts to come in and, and, you know, not your signal. So for example, uh, when you compare DNA, so often it's been uh, uh, presented in court as this is a one in 10 billion match, but that refers only to a specific kind of mistake in which Two people would accidentally have uh, the same uh, genes in these uh, loci. So, but there's so many other mistakes, much more uh, reasonable than one in billions, such just as a lab mistake, or such as uh, framing, or such as the uh, um, uh, uh, like investigator, a police investigator, uh, intentionally trying to uh, assist an in investigation. So. Um, so it need to be very careful when you start to get into the very small numbers, you need to start thinking of all the other noise sources you could be dealing with. And then sort of,
0: oh, real, one more thing, just on sort of like starting points. Cause I just find this, I think, I think the sort of weakest part of root claim in some ways is the sort of starting analysis is where I find the sort of most points for, for changing things, for instance. Right. When we're talking about the U.S. election at the start, starting point, noted no noted cases of major fraud in presidential elections affecting results. Let's look at the sort of smaller state and local races. And yet, if we were to look at the Syrian um, chemical attack forecast for Gouda, um, we say you even say that the, the, the priors in terms of sarin and chemical attacks in Syria are not applicable as the base rate, um, which seems you know, in in one sense, we're not counting, you know, for the US, because there's no presidential cases, we're okay using sort of smaller state and local results to use as the base rate. But for Syria, instead of using the other attacks, um, as involved in the base rate, we go into looking at motivations. Um, And sort of that, perhaps you can Mm -hmm. explain um, better why that was done, but it it seems sort of you know, you're doing it two different
1: ways. Uh, So first of all, Syria, I can talk much more uh, in detail. That's something I know very well. Uh, So I think it's not about um, us ignoring uh, smaller cases. It's it's about um, one that a lot of the smaller cases have the same issue with them, which is uh, each of these by themselves have the same conflict of uh, the West claiming one side and the East claiming ad- another side. And basically I think there's a near consensus that all of the chemical attacks or at least all the serene attacks have been done by the same side. Okay, so that's something that is generally acceptable. Uh, and makes sense, uh, both because uh, there seems to be a chemical consistency between the attacks and also because um, it's already a rare event. So. For it to happen twice could be, but probably less likely. Most people expect uh, all the Syrian attacks to be from the same side. Uh, so that's that's usually why we can't really use the other allegations as a prior for this, because one side says all of them are uh, Syria, the other side says all of them are the oppositions. So, uh, so hard to hard to use them. Is, is that is that what you mean, or was there another? Thing yeah,
0: there? yeah. So basically because. All the Syrian chemical attacks basically re- would require the same level analysis that like we just it, you can't there there is no actionable base rate is the sort of the argument behind why instead. There's of no base attacks- rate
1: that you can take from from the chemical attacks because none of them have been investigated in, in a level that is uh, sufficient to draw a conclusion. So basically we need to start somewhere. We chose the biggest one and that's that's the one we will uh, start with a clean slate. Uh, Later, when we examined another chemical attack, then we used uh, the previous one as uh, a guide for the prior of this one. Not a a very strong one, but as a guide for the prior of the new one.
0: And then, so speaking about uh, the Syrian chemical attack, um, root claim on Twitter has been sort of very public for months that you will debate anyone for $100,000 all the way down to $10,000 to prove that, you know, your analysis, which says that there, no, that's the wrong one, that there is an 87% chance that the opposition forces, and particularly this uh, subset of the opposition forces carried out the chemical attack, 87%, you have been sort of publicly on Twitter saying, uh, debate us, and if you beat this independent, if this independent panel of judges say that you're right, we'll give you $100,000. No one's taken you up on that so far, is that correct?
1: Uh, that is correct. Yeah, in general, uh, this is this is an interesting um, exercise we're doing. That is um, trying to show uh, the superiority of probabilistic inference compared to human intuitive reasoning. Uh, and and that is when we have very contentious results, we will offer to we will offer a challenge, a, a hundred thousand dollar challenge to anyone who thinks uh, we're wrong. And in some of these cases, we are going against. Most authorities. Okay, the the case of Syria, we are saying that all Western intelligence agencies are completely wrong. So and these are these are agencies that have superior information to us, uh, but we are, we are very confident that that they got it wrong. So uh, basically, we we need you know this, we're trying to show uh, the superiority superiority by introducing skin in the game. We're willing to say, okay, you think you uh, think we're wrong, okay. So let's try to find a way to uh to to show the confidence to to uh, compare the confidence of each side now ideally we we would like to do it like uh the james randy uh, challenge which was a million dollar challenge for anyone who could uh, reproduce uh supernatural phenomena in uh, in a lab uh and that 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 has a very clear uh clear test the pay, the person should come to the lab and should uh, cause I don't know the pencil to rise in the air with no, without touching it. So that's clear. Everyone, everyone can determine if that happened or not. Uh, it's very hard to to say uh, to find a, a clear test to who did uh, um, who did the chemical attacks. If there was, we would use it. <laughs> we wouldn't need root claims. So, um, so the best we could think of is uh, getting a judge debate. You agree on. Uh, professional unbiased judges that both sides agree uh, can can examine the, the evidence uh, fairly and then go into a, a long two-day debate event where each side presents uh, the evidence and the reasoning. And while the, I definitely don't expect to win 100% of the cases where we are right, uh, I did expect it to be biased at least 80-90%. And, and therefore, I expect that uh, anyone who knows the evidence well would not dare to uh, challenge us and this is basically what happens because uh, on an issue like Syria you would have millions of people very confident they know the answer uh, but they' not they're not their confidence is not based on actual knowledge of the data it's based on them relying on the experts but the expert they actually, know, they actually know the evidence and they know the evidence does not support uh, their hypothesis. That's not to say they're lying. They do believe the hypothesis they're promoting but when they are honest with themselves and they need to say, am I willing to put uh, my money on this? Uh, they understand they're going to have a problem. They understand there are a lot of uh, fishy evidence. There's a lot of uh, uh, contradicting evidence. They know they're going to have a problem in the uh, in, uh, uh, uh in like uh lab setting to to call it so. So um so that's why we're so confident we can make this uh make this challenge and, and no one will come. Um yeah, that's that's pretty much it.
2: So you talked about this briefly just now, um, but, you know, we've discussed a lot of the levers that can be pulled to ultimately affect the outcome of one of these questions. You know, we talked about base rate, we talked about effect multipliers. Um, One of the most interesting pieces of root claim to me is sort of the evidence collection process um, and just the evidence that's displayed for each question. Um, On the website, you talk about how there's no cherry picking and that, you know, you're very objective in terms of the evidence that you collect and present to the people that use your website. I was wondering if you can talk through sort of the process That you all use to gather information, um, and how you sort of go through that selection process. Because you know, as we know, there's been a lot of fake news and new, you know, news sites popping up. And so, how do you sort of control for some of the cherry picking or misinformation that might be, you know, like disseminated on the
1: internet? Sure. Um, So usually, what you would have is when you have uh, like uh, like this contentious uh, subject you want to analyze, you will have a few uh, main thinkers. That would publish their uh, analysis, uh, and they would each cherry pick evidence, but they would each cherry pick a different subset of evidence that supports their case. Uh, and if you read all of them, you would you would quickly get a, a view of the entire evidence uh, of the issue. Sometimes we would uh, we would investigate, uh, well, not sometimes. Always we will investigate uh, further ourselves to to see what could be relevant. Uh, Sometimes it could be uh pages maybe a Wikipedia page or a, a news article that tries to assess evidence of both sides and maybe you would find more of it, but getting all the evidence not cherry picking, that's that's pretty easy you just need to want to do it. The problem with cherry picking is not too much about uh uh a uh, difficulty it's about uh a bias about people not wanting to uh not not wanting to uh, assess evidence uh, fairly so uh, we don't really care who comes out right. We don't we don't have any um, any stakes in the results there here. So uh, we we can be fairly uh, unbiased about it and open about it. And after we publish, anyone can point out if we're missing any evidence. So uh, it definitely happens that we will publish and then uh, add something we missed. And some sometimes new evidence comes up. Sometimes uh, the world gives you new evidence. Uh, there is something that is important to note, and that is that sometimes uh, the evidence available to the public is by itself filtered or cherry-picked. So that, that could definitely be the case in uh, in, an, in a political uh, issue or, or a security issue. So for Syria, definitely you would have um, Western intelligence agencies trying to uh, filtered evidence and provide only the evidence that supports their uh, uh, their country's interests and and the opposite for, uh, for Russia in this case or Syria in this case. So you need to take into account uh, what kind of filters exist between you and the evidence and be careful not to assume that uh, after you collected everything you, there is that there is not another filter that you're not aware of. And then sort of like on that
0: evidence front, like how, like, For instance, um, going back to the Syrian um, analysis that you guys did, one of the pieces of evidence is video of the event, um, which is actually still linked here on on YouTube. But if you were, right, it's not clearly the best quality of video. And if you go to the YouTube channel itself, um, you can get a certain sort of perspective on at least who the channel owner is on it, which is not saying the evidence is wrong one way or another, but it's like Mm -hmm. you then gave that piece of evidence an 80% confidence. Is that due to like the quality of the video and the channel? Like how, how do you determine when you come across on a a YouTube piece of evidence on a channel, you know, listen up on, on YouTube? How do you then like input that into a forecast? I mean, in, into an analysis. I, 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 I think what you do is really forecasting the past truth. So I think we'll mix up forecast and analysis. But sort of, how do you sort of determine when you stumble across that video that, will confidence that deserves in the analysis?
1: Okay. So first, specifically on this case, uh, the the channel that, that published this video is not related to the event. They just what they did is just basically enhance it. So this is mm-hmm. just a. Um, this person with the video editing uh, skill that enhanced uh, this very black rainy video. The original video was uh, published on Live League from an anonymous account that claimed uh, the claim it was found on the body of a dead uh, uh, jihadist. Um, so in this case, uh, that's that's the source we need to relate to. Of course, this anonymous account, um, and basically, yeah, we need to to say, okay, so. This is not coming from a source we can verify. Uh, we need to take an account. What? Uh, what else? How else could this video come about? And this is basically what you do in, in the analysis. That's that's the main point. In this case, it's very easy. If if this uh, if this video is uh, authentic, then that's it. That's uh, this, that's the smoking gun. You don't need any anything else. Uh, in general, I, I like this I like this case because always when you when you uh, debate people about these kind of contentious issues. They always say, you're so, uh, you're so um, overconfident that even if I show you a video of the, of the other position, you will, you will deny it. And this is the clear case where you actually have a video of jihadists, uh, the Syrian opposition people, uh, uh, launching chemical rockets on the night of the event. And it's like, just no, <laughs> no one cares about it. Uh, they just simply dismiss it as, uh, as a staged uh without even uh investing the the time into thinking how likely it is to stage such a thing and how hard it would be. But that's that's uh, that, that, uh a tangent. So um yeah so basically in this case yeah that's that's a question. You need to to assess what is the probability of uh uh someone probably uh the Syri- the Syrian uh, government uh staging this uh this video in order to uh Divert international pressure. I mean, these these are questions particle. that you know you, you can look at. Uh, you basically look at the history of the stage videos. How often it happens? How it looks? Uh, and there's there's some. I mean, in this case we we show there's some in the few stage videos that actually happen. Staging videos is, is generally a very rare thing. Usually, what happens is you would take a video and a setting video from one setting and claim it's in another setting. That's that's the usual. Uh, uh, misinterpretation of videos you would see, uh, staging, getting actors and, and, and ammunition and everything is, is is very rare. So, we show in the red cases when you do have a staging video. Uh, there's a, there's a, two things that usually happen. One, it is very clear what you what you want to show. If you want to show that, uh, we show one video in which uh, uh, they're trying to show. Uh, Syrian government sniper executing a child. Uh, they staged this video. Uh, this was admitted. This is not uh, contented. This was admitted. as staged. Uh, so it is very clear that you see the child being very innocent and being shot by a sniper with, a, with no cause, in a very clear, uh, in an open place. There's no reason for. Uh, there's no reason for a mistake. So, and it's very clear in the image. So when you try to stage something for political purposes. You make sure it's clear. And the other thing is there's always you always miss something because videos are very hard. There's like each image is millions of pixels and you have thousands of uh, frames and you need all of them to have uh, nothing that some uh, uh, wise alley somewhere to, can, can look it at it and say, uh-oh, that doesn't make any sense. So uh, these are two things that uh, happen in stage videos and did not happen in this. First of all, it's very hard to, re- to understand what's going on in this video. It's uh, grainy, it's low quality uh it's not really clear what they're talking about it requires a lot of analysis to realize what it is and the second thing is that uh like there's no no mess ups it's like everything is there's no mistakes
0: um and so sort of we have just two more things and then we'll move on from Syria. because we want to talk about other things about root claim and your background um which one of them has to do with um a tweet that root claim has put out recently but before we get to that Um, Sort of, I'm wondering how sort of like community feedback gets involved in in terms of this forecast. For instance, currently in the comment section on root claim uh, on this forecast, there's a post that links to bellingcat.com, which does um, open source analysis of the Syrian conflict, which, you know, shows with open source analysis of Syrian government movements, how it's possible that the Syrian government was in the territory where the missiles were launched from. And I was wondering, sort of, did Rootclaim analyze the Bellingcat resource? Because I know that one of the sort of blogs that your analysis also relied on also sort of referenced Bellingcat before. So there's clearly some sort of credibility with that source's intelligence. And if so, how that was factored into um, the analysis that Rootclaim
1: did? All right. So, so basically, the um, the analysis from Bellingcat is is already in. Uh... In our analysis, under launch location, um, um, so I, I mean, they, what what if you want to go into details? But basically, what they did there is they, they try to show that it is possible if you take the rockets to their extreme uh, uh, end of uh, estimated range, which is probably wrong, which is probably too generous, and at a at special at a, a certain angle that's probably not the correct angle is not is not uh, supported by the evidence then you could find a way for government forces to uh, get to such a point uh it also and, and okay that's possible uh, if it wasn't possible then we would probably be at 100% uh and and also uh, it doesn't take into account that possibility is not everything you need to explain why would they go to the edge of uh, of the territory to launch it and not just launch it from the safety of one of their own bases. I mean, it's, uh, it's not enough to just say uh, we, this piece of evidence does not a hundred percent prove we are wrong. You need to say what is, why is it likely? And why is it, what is the ratio of likelihood between um, between the different hypotheses. Um, in general, Bellingcat um, is a very, I mean, they do a lot of very good investigations of collecting data. Uh, But at the end, when they need to uh, integrate data into an analysis and uh, conclusion, they just use the same intuitive reasoning that everyone else does and and their conclusions are no better than uh, anyone else after you read the the high quality information they collected.
2: So I was wondering, you know, how do you balance sort of the the actual root claim platform and the work that root claim does with sort of the educational component of root claim? So you talk about on your website, you know, whether it's forecasting or sort of retrospective analysis, um, you know, the same sort of mental pitfalls that people can fall into when they're thinking about some of these questions uh, and, and analyzing evidence. And, you know, you talk about cherry picking evidence or, you know, um, testing your own gut intuition, um, you know, do you feel like it's important to sort of uh, progress the, um, analytical forecasting space and help people get better at doing this sort of work so that you know ideally the outcomes of some of these questions get better or is that sort of just a byproduct of the work that you're doing at rootplane
1: Yeah, so, so at this point I, I don't think our influence is uh, significant enough to be able to take such a position of uh, uh, educating the world um, one of the main problems we have is that um, when you care only about the accuracy of the of your results, uh, you are not um, you're not exciting. Uh, so basically, any person uh, who comes to our website is going to be very annoyed at something. Something is, got, is going to uh, to be against their current beliefs, uh, and and the, the natural response to that, the very human response to that, is uh, this is just uh, low quality. This is some conspiracy website. This is some it's not no different than 1000 other web, websites that give you sensational uh, outcomes and, uh that go against mainstream uh, mainstream uh, conclusions so uh, cool. so basically uh, we 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 are always in a situation where no one really wants to promote us uh because if you want to if you go and you promote our analysis on uh, suppose you're uh, Russian TV, you want to promote our analysis on uh, on Guta, on the the chemical attacks. You're sending people to a website that says that pro-Russian forces downed a Ukrainian uh, a Malaysian plane over Ukraine, right? And if you um, uh, if you're like an uh, extreme right-wing American that uh, wants to send it to to our website to show that uh, the Chinese are behind the. Uh, the pandemic that that the virus is a result of the a lab leak and not uh, the zoonotic origin, then you're also sending people to a place that shows that there was no fraud in uh in the twenty twenty election. so uh we are not no no one no one loves us um and basically our game is just to to accumulate as much success as possible until it's just very hard to ignore us at that point we can when when someone pays attention to us we can start thinking about uh, educating.
0: But doesn't that in some ways work towards root claims publicity, the fact that um, at least the majority of the new analysis tends to be on sort of hot topics that goes against the grain, right? In some ways, yes, you know, if, if, if I'm a right winger, um, I'll, I'll share around the lab leak thing. But now that, you know, the recent 2020 election analysis comes on, I'm, I'm a little bit pissed because that goes against my sort of beliefs. But doesn't that also then in some way then help the sort of sharing process, right, by having those sort of conflicting views? Um, not to say there's anything wrong with that, but I think there's sort of a
1: counter argument to be made that... Um, so, so definitely people who, who understand that that the truth does not respect political boundaries and can hop all over the place and thinking that truth is always somewhere in the middle, that's that's nonsense. Truth can go <laughs> to very extremes and... and and very unpredictable directions um, people who realize that who are definitely the minority of people um, they could appreciate that, but they need to somehow hear about us about us and, and to hear about us, they need some uh, mainstream uh, outlet to promote us and and uh, that outlet would be annoyed by something on our website but uh, i mean i think I think this will eventually uh, work out it's just uh, we just need to realize this is uh, This is a marathon. Uh, You need to be very uh, consistent, very um, uh, not give up on these values of uh, how you analyze and how you uh, bring accurate results. And I believe this will eventually win.
0: And sort of I think we want to end on um, this sort of this Syria news that you guys have been sort of hinting about on Twitter. Right, you guys tweeted big news coming um, that you guys have done this research that will show one way or another with a high degree of certainty who was behind it with this sort of little clickbaity tweet at the end. But before we get there, <laughs> we want to talk about a few things about sort of root claim as a as a platform and sort of what's next coming for it. And I think um, one thing that we've noticed while using root claim that I think we would have appreciated as as people that use the website is if there was some sort of adjustable um, mm-hmm. model, right? So instead of us, like we back engineered for one of our forecasts, um, the origins of, of COVID-19 sort of changed yeah, some for, of the effect multipliers. It's... But I was wondering if there's any sort of intention for root claim to sort of build that in natively and have people um, be allowed to mess around with the analysis themselves and um, create their own an- analyses using the root claim method
1: yeah it is it is on the roadmap there is it is a common uh, common ask um yeah.
0: and is there any is there any plan to show sort of the historical um probabilities cuz i I've, I've noticed you know sometimes they change but there's not or at least maybe I, I i missed it but there's nowhere to sort of track how it's changed over time
1: yeah that's that's uh, that's also good uh uh good feedback yeah something we should add at, at this point i mean you can always go to uh and archive.org and see the history if you want, but uh, um, yeah, we should, we should add something that's more uh, accessible. But I wanted to, I I read your, um, your adjustments, the adjustments you did for your own analysis. Um, And, and I mean that you need to be careful there because what you do there is you take numbers that are already um, have been adjusted downwards and you adjust them further. So you need to take into account that once you do that, you need to go back and adjust the the generous estimates uh, we made and and, uh, and make them less generous, less conservative as appropriate. So, I think you went way too uh, conservative there. So,
0: so yeah, well, let's let's talk. So I don't think that we. Yep. So the way in which we did that is we sort of looked at countervailing evidence and only changed our confidence and used your sort of limitations on the effect multiplier based on how confident you are in a piece of evidence and so you know i think the biggest ones were on the fern cleavage um in, on on sars cov 19 as well as the chimeric nature of it um and sort of one of the big pieces that big piece of evidence that swayed us in that way was sort of recent news out of china that they were able to find a wild type uh coronavirus that was a 94.5 percent match uh, to SARS-CoV-2 which is um you know one of the one of the key evidences that is is used in root claim is the is 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 the rat G13 being 96% accurate and so right. you know we lowered from a 90% confidence to i think an 80 and a 75% confidence and that's what um drove down our multiplier and I'd be curious to see um sort of why that news uh, there's been some a little bit more recent news out of the WHO in terms of possible origins and sort of why you feel that we were too um liberal with our reduction in confidence
1: right okay so, so we could take we can take it uh, two directions we can we can start discussing the the genetics and the virology of it um so definitely for each evidence you just um uh, you just mentioned and i think the first one is already in the analysis but maybe i'm wrong uh there's also been a lot of discoveries that uh, since we published it, further support the lab leak hypothesis. Uh, so when you do, when you add new stuff, you need to make sure you add new stuff for both sites. That's uh, one thing. Um, specifically on the Frank Lieber site, it's, it's not really about it uh, being, uh, I don't know if that's what you meant. It's not about it uh, being absent in similar viruses because it is important, but that's not an important thing. The main important thing is that it is an inserted uh, site. So it is clearly, very cleanly, added to the code right, rather than mutated um, more naturally. And also, the specific uh, nucleotide code they chose for the Feringon site is very rare in nature. So it's yeah. something that would make sense for a lab to do in order to be able to identify their viruses uh, in the
0: that yeah no so we, we we even like read that um the the 2007 paper we stumbled upon it before we read the root came analysis where they inserted a very similar furrin um, site as well our, our point on on the furin cleavage was going more towards um in the analysis that you guys give you sort of state how important this is towards a lot of the aspects of covid19 and there's just been some recent research in, in nature um magazine um that was published that sort of both highlights you know, the aspects that make the fur and cleavage important towards infectiousness and and uh, the deadliness of the disease, but also some, some sort of countervailing evidence that is now starting to come out uh, when it's being studied um, in human cells. And sort of, perhaps we were too conservative, and I think the point that you just brought up while we added some new evidence but not all new evidence, I think is a really great point. But the big point I was making with the wild type 94.5 versus the... Um, the the Ratchi 13 96% was was at the chimeric nature, right? It's stressed that there's this 96% similarity. And we just f- figured that now that we have this new analysis where there's this large sample of COVID-19, coll- of, of coronavirus collections in a really small area. And one of those has a 94.5% match, therefore reducing our confidence in that 96% from RaTG13 being as important to uh, the overall, yeah. Okay, so, so
1: no, I think I think you misunderstood this. So this is is less about the similarity because uh, the claim is not specifically that uh, g 13 is the is the backbone. It's more about uh, uh, the the one institute having access to the most to the closest uh, uh, virus there is today. But more important than that is that. The similarity is not consistent. So, in, in the critical area, the critical that binds to the uh, to the human cells, the, ACE, the ACE2 receptor, uh, in that specific area, the virus is not similar at all to the bite viruses. It's similar to another viruses, to another virus. Probably, I mean, it's related to pangolin, but probably not from pangolins originally. Um, so, the, the weird thing is that it is. It is it is specifically the critical area of the of the code that has been replaced by by uh, a code from another animal that is uh, uh, that has a higher affinity to to human cells. Uh, so so these are all practices that um, are known to to happen in the one Institute of Virology. Uh, they make sense. That's that's what they do. They 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 try to study how new viruses could develop. Um, and it's uh, it just it could happen in nature, but um, the fact that it happens in the way that they already research is the coincidence that needs to be discounted. But one thing I do agree with what you did is that you uh, uh, you discounted for the uh, for the gold. So the gold they gave is uh, is indeed very. Um, Weakly correlated to the to the actual result. There are many ways in the, in, in which you can get a false uh, result while being correct on the. So, you, you could still fail the fail the goal, fail the challenge, and the uh, label still be true. So that yeah, that's that's always a very hard thing to to do when you build such challenges.
0: But then okay, I just don't right. We didn't decrease our confidence all that much in comparison to yours. And I would just like to like dropping from 90 to 80% confidence, right. Just following your metric has to then therefore lead from a 10 X to a 5 X reduction, uh, for instance. Um, and just, you know, when we were on root claim, there was no mention of the sort of other, uh, more recent evidence that was coming up for it, which I think is just the nature of the website. Um, anyway. Um, this is something that we can continue offline. We're going to probably get down a, a, a rabbit hole talking about um, the uh, mRNA uh, aspects of all this. So let's move on to Syria and this sort of tease that has been brought out on Twitter that um, will show with high certainty one way or another uh, the root claim analysis. Uh, Sar, the floor is yours.
1: Okay. Yeah. So I think uh, I think by then this is published, uh, we will already. Uh, uh, have published it, but if not then this will be the first place so that's that's fine so um past few weeks there have been a lot of um activity by a few in in individual investigators online uh, some some of it is already public so anyone you can look at it um trying to look at uh at, at the main evidence of the case um mostly there's uh the launch the impact sites and, and what kind of uh, how they were how they were hit and at what angle so trying to indicate from that what what is the likely source and they did a great work of uh, uh, extracting a lot of new details from uh, seven sites and actually showing how they uh, coincide in a very uh, small area within uh, opposition territory and another thing is the deeper analysis of the of these uh, launch videos we talked about, which are so far were claimed to be uh, forged, and what they did. So these are very low quality videos. So they actually went there frame by frame and and built it. Uh, uh, looked at every every minor detail you could uh, take from it, and uh, and found uh, multiple um, um, objects uh, uh, the the. The structure of the road, the trees, the the field, everything there, and uh, we're able to match it uh, very accurately to a small yard, a small field inside the area that they detected before, um, and also show how the video actually shows a launch that um, that isn't the exact direction in where uh, where the impact size sites uh, were later uh, found. And the third uh, thing which, uh, uh, which corroborates everything is uh, analysis of another video, which this is something we helped with. Another video uh, taken from six kilometers away, uh, also very, very dark. So uh, we enhanced it, uh, did some, did some uh, nice computer vision tricks on it to show a lot of details. And could locate exactly where it where it was shot from, and you could see the exact launches. You see in the original video, you can see them in this other remote video. In the same location geographically, at the correct time, at the correct uh, direction, going in in the same trajectory as uh, uh, as the impact sites. So that basically gives you like there's. The, I mean, I, I, it's very hard to get confident in that. So basically, we can say with very, very high confidence uh, that this uh, jihadist group, uh, they identifies the Islam, maybe they're not wal Islam, but they identify as wal Islam, which was the prominent group in the area at the time. Uh, they launched uh, Serene Rockets in 2013. And it's going to be very interesting to see what happens uh, when this is... Uh, this is exposed we will try to make some noise about it and push it uh, to mainstream media and it's going to be I, I, I really don't have i have no idea how they will uh respond because in a sense like uh basically all western media they all propagated the uh the the their, the intelligence agencies' uh claims about uh, the government being responsible uh, it was part of a of a general, more um, a wider uh, campaign of uh, of showing the entire Syrian uh, civil war as a, as a as a as a rebellion against an oppressive government, which is it is much more complex than, than this simplistic uh, uh, portrayal. So, um, it would be very interesting to see if. If uh, what would what would the, be stronger here, the 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 motive to to bring a big story and show all intelligence agencies were wrong, or the motive to to remain on the safe side of uh, we we weren't wrong, we uh, we want to keep our good relations with our intelligence sources. I have no idea where, where this will go. Oh, I'm just- willing
0: to make a forecast on the way that's okay. Go. Uh-huh. Let's
1: go. What's your forecast?
0: Oh, that it's almost certainly not going to get. Uh, picked up yeah, at you think? At, at, okay. at at least right away. I, I would think it would have okay. to sort of bubble up um okay. to get any yeah, sort doesn't... of attention. Because I i don't think the media is gonna be, oh shoot, let's go quickly r- rush out and say uh that it that it was wrong. I I I don't think that'll be the way. I'll okay. give that a ninety percent confidence. That at least in it the It doesn't first help week, they
2: that won't. the Assad regime is backed by Russia also. Like there are very clear sure, geopolitical that's incentives, that's... incentives here to keep the status quo and not change what the main Especially
0: right is. now. So I right? think it's pretty clear.
2: Yeah.
0: With increasing it's... tensions too, yeah.
1: Yeah, on the other hand, it is uh, it is an interesting story. It will I mean you can build it in a way that will bring some traffic and income. Oh yeah, if so, you're the brave uh...
2: journalist that wants to run with it, I mean you could get a lot of a lot of new uh watchers, you know, by covering the new You might router. want to go to
0: like a to like a newer outlet, like an Axios that wasn't around during the chemical attacks that don't have any uh any uh anything. Do you to know, do you, know do you know do you know
1: do you know which uh Albert uh always said it was the opposition? Usually uh, like like the the most extreme right wing uh like uh o and, n, o and n how it's called yeah so they yeah. would they would always go Tucker Carlson is also uh, uh promoting this that uh, was
0: so promoting which
1: side sorry promoting the, that this is the jihadist, that this the, not the, uh this is not the government I operation um so it's this not the is best a...
0: messenger for the to get it out though if, if for the larger yeah, you
1: know at this point I, i'm uh uh i don't like anyone so so everyone is is just that says nonsense at some point and says intelligent stuff at another point and uh i i hate everyone at <laughs> the same level
2: <laughs> you think that there's a risk of you know if this story comes out and people run with it and they start to understand what might have really happened in syria that you know, other past news reports of you know past um, you know civil uh, sort of violence done done by governments propagated by various intelligence agencies will be called into question because, as you said, you know the the intelligence agencies sort of shared a very high level of confidence that it was the Assad regime that carried out these attacks. Um, you know, to be proven wrong could definitely jeopardize uh, you know and make people look back at some of the other um,
1: stories and narratives that they've put out. Um. I don't know. I hope so. Um, in general, my confidence in the ability of intelligence agencies to analyze information of deep strategic value that requires understanding, uh, empathizing with the other side is very low. Um, yeah. It's it's a problem of, of who are the people, what are the interests, what are the pressures they're under. A person that goes to work for an intelligence agency is probably not a person who has a lot of empathy to, to the enemy, so uh, that's 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 like you're building an organization that is built to fail. You, are by definition, taking only a, a certain kind of people who, who will fail to really understand how the other side thinks. Um, so yeah, I think I think in general the uh, the public needs to realize how how much they suck in that. Um, and are, I don't know if this will are there any intelligence anything.
0: Are there any intelligence agencies that are structured in a sort of better way or do you like have ideas on how you would in, sort of improve intelligence analysis i'm guessing it's sort of some way of deploying a, a sort of um, a methodical approach similar to root when it comes to analyzing situations
1: uh i don't uh, i don't think um i think it's very hard to build an intelligence agency that works it's just uh... I mean you can't open it because you need to deal with confidential information and the people you will bring will always be the people who want to work for the government yeah and they will always be promoted based on how much they help their superiors which eventually their superiors are the the government uh so i don't think there's a way to build this uh the only thing we need to do is basically stop trusting them when it comes to these issues there are issues that they they can do well but when it comes to these kind of strategic issues that require understanding, that aside, we need to we need to realize they they are just worth us. We need to build our own uh, uh, you know, public uh, crowd uh, uh, intelligence agencies
0: based on some like open source plan. In I actually
2: read a book recently called Geopolitical Alpha, and in the book, the author talks about how in intelligence agencies, oftentimes um, one of their biggest problems is that they almost have too much information. And so they often include information that's non-diagnostic and isn't actually relevant to the outcome of the question that they're trying to solve. Um, and they end up sort of skewing their ultimate result because they're just including too much, almost like the paradox of choice, sort of. Um, do you think yeah. that's also sort of part of the issue there?
1: Yeah, it is part of the issue. Another uh, another very similar issue is uh, being very excited about confidential information, um, in, in these issues, there's hardly an advantage to having confidential information because it's much more important to be able to correctly analyze the, the, the information you have than to get twice as much information. Um, so um, the problem is that they they, are, they get in, they fall in love with their uh, confidential sources. They have this piece yeah. of information that they only have, and uh, it's very dear to them and it's of course not open so they don't get feedback on maybe how they're misinterpreting it uh and it's it's very um it's very appealing to to say uh no no i'm right you're wrong because uh, i have this information that you don't have it's it's like uh, it's a uh, it's a very very easy way to shut down uh a uh, dialogue a conversation Yeah. You know. And then
0: sort of last thing before we get into our uh, traditional rapid fire round when we have our guests on, even though you don't have a background in forecasting, you will have to make two predictions at the end of the podcast. Oh. Okay. Um, but before that, just one quick question ends. on the uh, Syrian evidence, just for some clarification. Sure. Is your is your confidence with high certainty that this was done um, by an opposition group for the Gouda attack in particular, or is this for the majority or all sort of reported Sarin attacks during that? Uh, time period
1: okay so so basically once you once you solve uh Uta, and that is a uh, position that basically basically closes all the other serene attacks around 10 uh, serene attacks that happened um it's very unlikely that uh, those were by the government um there's by the way there's something that not you never heard in, you know, in media and that is there were several uh serene attacks were um government soldiers were the main injured party, so that that by itself would make it very very weird, but of course, you never heard about that so uh yeah so th- those would definitely be now and this the is government. nothing
0: and there's no sort of statement on the chlorine attacks right that this evidence is
1: okay so the the question about the, the chlorine attacks is um it's harder to say uh we didn't do a deep analysis um my guess would be. Opposition as well. All right, and but, then uh, but that's not something I would uh, bet uh-huh. hundred thousand dollars on.
0: And then uh, yeah, we have some rapid fire uh, questions for you, Andrew. Okay. Yeah, so we have
2: two.
1: And just the uh, disclaimer: when you ask me as a person, I, I'm just I'm using the same inference methods that everyone uses. I don't think I'm that that good. Uh, I can only. Be proud of results that I give after after going through the methodology that's that's a long process, but let's play
2: yeah I mean these are are pretty low stakes, you know okay, um, but we think they're fun um so the first question is uh what do you think the likelihood is that Russia annexes more territory in Eastern Europe in the next five years five
1: years annex more territory um yeah, in Eastern Europe. Yeah, that's, I'll give that fifteen.
2: I think off the top of my head, that's pretty in line with what we've heard from some of our, you know, super forecasters that have come on the show. So that's that's, that's a good prediction. I think it's a prediction. Um, and then the second question is, uh, what is the likelihood that you believe, uh, that we'll detect alien life in the next ten years, either currently living any life at all, um, or you know, like cellular single cell organisms. So
1: we need, uh, so uh, electromagnetic signals is, uh, that qualifies, right? It doesn't have to be, you don't need to actually see the light. You can, you can see they're communicating or something, right? If you can
2: sense it, I think that would count under the criteria. Yeah. yeah
1: so, so any evidence of uh, mixed with 1st life, 10 years? Hmm. I guess, I guess 10
2: sounds good yeah 10 percent for for the currently living sorry like 10 percent for like currently living uh extraterrestrial life or just past signs of extraterrestrial Any, anything life just uh it?
1: just yeah. having definite uh, uh um, evidence that uh, somewhere there is uh there is or was uh, the civilization and then what about 10, the likelihood for within ten years? It's, it's mostly because we're not looking. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. it's not we're not uh, investing that heavily in looking for it. So right. I don't see. I mean, there has to be some freak occurrence uh, within ten years to for that to happen. I guess ten. I guess ten percent uh, is 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 generous, but I just I just don't feel confident enough in my uh, knowledge on the subject to give a lower number.
0: And then, do you have any confidence on currently living life? So, like, for perhaps like without the are there are there currently? Yeah,
1: okay, that's that's a tough one. Um, I would I would say I would probably put it much lower than other people. Um, a lot of the interesting, um, a lot of the interesting research in that area is actually not on the on the side of the uh. Of studying aliens, but more about uh anthropic reasoning, uh, simulation argument. Are you familiar with these uh areas? Yeah, probably. I think these are, these are more uh, ways to, to make an estimate there. Um, hmm. so is there currently a living civilization? Is it does it have to be our universe or could it be other universes?
0: Um, yes, or it could be just like cellular life on on mars or europa or something as well
1: okay so but but the uh, need to take into account other universes or is this only the universe accessible to us
0: well then there would also have to be credible evidence in the multiverse theory as well in the next 10 years so it's conditional it doesn't have
1: that. to be a multiverse just just more or, than one universe or... existing
0: okay yes well, there, Let's let's the... keep it to our
1: universe because okay. otherwise it gets too uh learning. too weird <laughs> yeah. uh in our universe currently living uh alien life 70 i like that, that 70 70 that it exists i assume oh. most people go to 95 right or something like that no
0: but what about in terms of detecting that in the next 10 years
1: no that 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 will be the answer that's a ten. oh
0: okay oh see sorry just for that other one we also meant like historically like could have been dead and non-existent. Like, yeah, so, so
1: for us in the, in the next 10 years detecting any sign of uh non non uh, terrestrial life that's that's uh that's 10%. Already? Right. For anything existing now? Oh, you yeah. were asking about detecting now? Yeah. Ah, I was trying to answer whether they exist at all.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no,
1: we... okay. So you want us to detect, so yeah, so um you're asking whether it's going to be Yeah, so I think most of the ones will find uh, okay. Again, you have a question. What do you define now? What kind of now? Now is not is not well defined when you talk about these kind of uh, space and time. Yeah. So I, I talking about. So if we see a communication happening now, they could be a billion a billion years dead already. So right. So w- which one? What? W- where would that qualify? It would have I to guess. be that
0: it's currently at observation alive. So if it was many light years away, you'd have to do some sort of um Bayesian inference perhaps. And as long as there's a eighty five percent confidence it's still alive, it'll it'll
1: Okay. Okay. So we need to think so uh yeah, so we need to think that say that the ones that I find are still alive. So be probably half. So five percent would be that uh the single we found is uh indicative of a currently living alien life signal or or actual evidence or a visitation even
0: like the visitation. Let me, you,
1: let me ask you a different question. What what okay. do you think of the probability that we're currently being monitored by uh, by, by alien, alien life, life form? Yeah.
0: So, you gave a 70% chance alien life exists at all
2: being observed right intelligent enough then to have civilization, technology to travel I'd be interested planets, in coming kind of here and I just know that tornadoes. we're like
0: our our galaxy is relatively early in terms of the overall lifespan of the universe. So then we're likely one of the first. So we would probably be generally more likely towards the front of the pack. So if you're saying 10% will find any life, 5% currently living, then I'd maybe give in the next 10 years, just off the top of my head, two and a half My
1: question is without, it's not a prediction. This is a, oh. a general credence question. What is the probability you think that we're currently being monitored? There's, like, there's no evidence for that. They're, they're very good at hiding. Uh, but what's probably, do you think that currently there is at least one alien civilization that knows what's going on here? I'm inclined to say,
2: you know, moderate, you know, like it's moderate. Um, we're, we're all in the probability and like percent. Terms? I'd say more than 50 percent. I think moderate to high. I'd say maybe closer to. 55-60% so not too much higher but still I think it's it's more likely than not a little bit mm. what about you Clay? I feel like you're going to become a lot more conservative
0: yeah just because right if we're saying 70% there's intelligent or there's just life at all in the universe which is what Sarah just given that then just thinking where we are positionally in the universe I would definitely say I'm on the lower side of 50 let's say napkin percentages i think 15 is where i feel i'm kind of feeling like it's a it's like the same likelihood of trump winning in 2016 kind of as my uh, mental heuristic Interesting. definitely analog. possible but you know at least as of right now i think we are more likely to be the observers and the observee. um
1: sorry what yes. about so you I, I i'm at 30 percent for that okay yeah, 30. Uh, yeah. Uh, but but it's interesting to see like how much different is the Estimate for us being monitored uh, covertly compared to people believing in alien visitations. I assume if I ask you that if if any of the if there was ever any evidence for uh, uh, involvement any involvement here, you'd probably give a much lower number. Well, it's, it's, there's tons of documented evidence on Infowars. <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting to see the difference because um i mean I, I can definitely see a situation where we are currently being uh monitored at very from even from very close and very detailed uh even though i don't see any evidence for that so that's okay, a like, very interesting uh game between priors and evidence last mm-hmm. alien
0: one what are the odds that we are currently observing alien life oh, so like, like it's, not... it's uh it's yeah. being kept secret from us yeah that I feel pretty low. That would have leaked a pretty yeah yeah.
1: So no one, no one actually, no one no No one, whistleblowers whistleblowers.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. of or, or a few
1: that one, they
0: one, one and a i that they one little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a little a All right. Um, Sar, anything else that um where where can people find you? Um, what is what do you want people to check out? Any other sort of final closing messages um to the watchers of our podcast? Thank you so much, you know, for all of your time and for your wonderful answers, um and for the great uh, back and forth we had.
2: If any of the other companies also have updates, obviously, you know, as we mentioned, you are chairing slash, you know, seating close to ten you know, discrete companies right now. If any of them have exciting updates that you want the viewers to keep an eye out for also, please feel free to share.
1: Uh sure. Um, um so yeah, so the last question. So uh, uh I'm I guess best way to follow me is Saul uh, Wolf on Twitter, Root also Woodclaim on Twitter, uh website, rootclaim.com. Um what else did you ask? Um
2: does any of the other companies have anything
1: exciting um, coming up? No, nothing that... Uh, I mean, Vigo uh, was always, uh, always a fun company to look at, B- BZ-IGO. So yeah, they, that's they the one doing we can a detect mosquito mosquitoes in a yeah. room. Can you quickly explain that? Yeah, sure, sure. So that's a, that's a, a computer vision device. You place it in your room. Uh, it, uh, it, it has an infrared lighting uh, that you obviously can't see. And it monitors the room and the detect movement of small objects. And uh, when one of them looks like a mosquito, it will uh, give you a, a smartphone notification and will mark the the mosquito on the wall with uh, with a laser marker. And uh, the next version will also eliminate it. I was so. about to ask when well, does the lasers it? come in to just zap them? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so first of all, it's important to understand that the most of the problem with mosquitoes is detecting them. Um, they, their, their uh, evolutionary strategies is to be hidden. Uh, when you when you actually uh, see them and they don't go away, it's pretty easy to kill. Uh, but they're very good at uh, evading human uh, or any uh, vision. Um, so, so detection is is most of the problem. I think it's uh, detecting detecting alone is a great product. Uh, but eliminating is, of course, uh, much more fun and can and can work when you're not in the room. Uh, the the big uh, The big um, challenge with uh, eliminating is, uh, is safety. You can't you can't use high power lasers. Definitely not autonomously in a, in a room. <laughs> yeah, in, in case someone happen, walks through like
0: the beam happen. as well. But wait, yeah, so how it, does it how yeah. does it detect how but mosquitoes are small, like yeah. quite, quite small. And like, how large is like the sensor on like this camera to be able to to? Is it this like a really expensive system to be? Because how can no, it?
1: So, so it's um, uh, the the trick here is that the mosquito is just a few pixels. We don't detect shape. We detect uh, detect movement patterns. Okay, so that's what uh that's what allows us to differentiate it from dust or sensor. What's yeah. the accuracy rate of it? Uh, so basically, you don't get any false alarms. If you if you, if you get a if you get a that's mosquito, or it could be it could be another uh, flying, uh, flying insect of a similar size. That also could could be, uh, but you don't just get random notifications. And um, the the main issue about uh, coverage is that we don't see the whole room. So you know it's it's a wide it's a wide angle camera and it sees the ceiling, the top half of uh, the walls, but if the mosquito is not there, we will not see it. If the mosquito is there, um, 80, 90% of the times you will uh, detect it. And if you don't detect it the first time, then he will, within 10 minutes, he will move to another place and then we will detect it. So it's uh, it's pretty accurate. So it's a good product. Was this also
2: driven by your, you know, similar to the work that you've been doing with COVID driven by your interest in sort of helping to solve these Big public health issues. Um, obviously, mosquitoes are you know very well known for um, spreading malaria uh, and Zika and other like diseases. Is that part of the impetus there, or is this more of your um, interest in sort of optic technology and and AI and stuff like that?
1: Yeah. So, so Frito is is, uh, is a few years running, so it's before the pandemic, uh, and it uh, it of course started from me realizing that it's that mosquitoes are. Uh, annoying me too much, and uh, and the main problem is that I don't know where they are. It's, I mean, the rest is pretty easy. The problem is I don't know where they are when, when they wake me up at night. So uh, yeah, and that of course uh, connected with my background in computer vision and AI, and just, uh, thinking that maybe maybe we don't need something that that sophisticated. So, so there were there are a lot of projects over the years trying to build like very heavy, complex, expensive systems, but uh, the idea here is that maybe it doesn't have to be that complicated. If you if you uh, if you use the camera and only try to detect motion, you don't to uh, you don't need to de- detect the, the shape. And of course, if you don't eliminate it, that's also that makes it much more simple. So, so eventually, yeah, we found a way to make it uh, consumer priced. Awesome.
2: Awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, Sar, this was absolutely wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for giving us uh your time plus a little bit extra. I, I know I know we went over, so and it's quite late over there in Israel right now. So we appreciate right. you staying up this late to record
1: with us. Um yeah, sure, it, was, it was lots of fun. Thank you. And
2: we appreciate seeing your dog as well,
1: of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> he, he's he's quiet now, huh? that's that's good. <laughs> All
0: right. Um, that was episode six of the Global Guessing Weekly podcast. You guys can find Sar Wilf at at Sar Wilf on Twitter and at RootClaim. And his website that we've been talking about, Root Claim can be found at RootClaim.com. Andrew, any final words?
2: No, I think that was a lot of fun. One of my favorite podcasts so far. Um, and hope to keep in touch, Sar.
0: Awesome. Right. Okay, good luck. And that's a wrap. Thanks, everyone.